Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss using AI to train your customer service reps, the internal path to entrepreneurial peace, and the ways one customer can positively and negatively impact the experience of another customer. Intervening, introspection, and interacting. Oh my! There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. We've spoken several times on the show about the way AI is becoming a bigger part of not only our everyday lives as consumers, but increasingly in our conversations as customer experience professionals. Which is why we wanted to share an article we came across in Time Magazine by Alejandro de la Garza. The article is titled, This AI Software is Coaching Customer Service Workers. Soon it could be bossing you around too. And is about an artificial intelligence or AI program named Cogito. Cogito is designed to help customer service workers communicate more clearly empathize with frustrated callers, and improve their overall experience. It does this by listening to the tone, pitch, word frequency, and hundreds of other factors in customer service conversations. When it detects that something is wrong, an irritated customer, a call center agent taking too long to respond, or an agent who sounds bored, tired, irritated, rushed, or otherwise unpleasant, it displays a notification on the agent's computer telling them to slow down, or speed up, or stop talking, or start talking, or try to sound more sympathetic. Basically, it's like having a seasoned veteran listening in on your customer service calls and providing real-time actionable advice on how to respond to the situations you're facing. This is a pretty interesting application of AI in the customer service arena. Up until now, we've seen AI play a more behind-the-scenes role as it's used to analyze data, track behaviors, and route inquiries to the best channel for resolution. This new software, Cogito, is pushing beyond that. While once AI was seen as a tool largely under human control, Cogito is an example of an AI use case that is beginning to tell humans what to do. You know, Dan, I can definitely see some pros and cons to this type of tool. Uh, while on one hand, it seems that Cogito can give someone a nudge in the right direction, it starts to get a little bit problematic if everybody relies on a nudge instead of changing their ways. Now, to be honest, the customer service representatives discussed in the article felt that in general, the program was useful. Managers at one company said that using Cogito in their call centers improved first call resolution metrics by 3.5%, improved customer satisfaction by 13%, and helped agents reduce average call time. 
You know, I can't help but think of my dependence on my GPS and that, <laughs> you know, the more I use it, the more I depend Turn on now, it. Turn now, Dan. And, and yes, and I don't even bother trying to figure out the directions myself anymore. So. Yeah, and I think that is a little bit of the problem, right? Because what happens when AI tools are for lack of a better way of putting it, so involved with the conversation that customer service representatives are having that the customer service representative doesn't need to improve. They don't need to get better. They don't need to learn because the AI is nudging them the right way all the time. Exactly. Well, interestingly enough, everyone in the article seemed to think that we were still pretty far away from AI tools like this taking over call centers. The Cogito scientists felt that it was at least a decade away, and the call center representatives noted that it didn't. they didn't feel threatened that Cogito would take their jobs because, and I'm quoting here, people want to speak to a real person. Yeah, one of the problems I see with this type of thinking is that humans have an incredibly difficult time understanding the exponential change that is happening on the planet today. I mean, if we look at science, our brains developed over millennia in an evolutionary fashion, and now change is happening at an exponential rate. And our brains just aren't designed to be able to comprehend the speed and the significance of the changes. You know, I had an experience not too long ago, Dan, where I was sitting at a table with a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, a financial advisor, and me, a professional speaker. It sounds like the beginning of it a really bad like joke. It does sound like the beginning of a horrible joke, right? But what was interesting is we were talking about AI and we were going around the table. And what was fascinating to observe is that everyone at the table could see how all the other professions were going to be eliminated except for theirs. They would say, oh yeah, we're, we're not going to need doctors. We're not going to need lawyers, but accountants, you know, accountants will still be necessary. And, uh, and it was fascinating to watch uh, how people just couldn't comprehend when it was that close to home. And I, I have to admit, I kind of felt uh, that same type of thing going on in the article when the call center representative who was quoted was like, well, people want to speak to a real person. Well, not all people, and not if that person doesn't do what they hope they're going to do, and not if that doesn't resolve the way they think it's going to resolve. It's just interesting to think about how these technologies are changing faster than our human brains are. Well, I'm a believer that AI can be really useful in helping humans do their jobs better. So I love the concept of having like a, a, an AI machine next to a call center agent telling them all of the details of the customer's previous experience with the company so that they don't have to be on four different screens looking that stuff up. And then the agent can really spend the time giving that human-to-human -human interaction that I do think customers want. If you extend that out to a doctor, for example, there was the story about uh, how IBM's Watson detected some disease in somebody that you know 15 doctors couldn't find, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Watson is going to do the surgery. So it, I, I think it can definitely play that role in having access to so much data and being able to crunch it at a rate that our brain simply can't handle but next to a human that makes all of us that much smarter and that much better at our jobs. I think it does, you know, but again, the uh, with, with all great new technological advances come new challenges. One of the things that I thought was interesting in the article is they told the story of a woman who explained that 
after working with Kogito for a series of time, when she was in conversation with her boyfriend, he noticed a change in her speech patterns, that she was speaking more directly, that there wasn't as much fluff or nuance. And the author kind of uh, alluded to the fact that isn't it the fluff and the nuance that makes conversation between humans human? And so what happens when we strip all of that away to just be about call times and resolution and, oh, I can, the AI can anticipate exactly what the individual wants, it makes a little less uh, personal empathy and personal connection, I think. Yes, I can definitely see that happening. So Kogito's chief behavioral scientist, Skylar Place, had some interesting and somewhat shocking observations about how the world will change in the next three years. Place observed, and I'm quoting, there's a future where AI software like this becomes part of our normal day-to-day in conversations with parents, with spouses, and in preparing for job interviews. Unquote. The team at Kogito is already using an AI application internally to coach and advise on everyday employee interactions, but the CEO is quick to acknowledge that they aren't, quote, quite yet sure if the general population is ready for this. <laughs> Not quite sure if the population is ready for this? Yeah, I don't even think we're close to ready for any of this, Dan. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's coming, whether we like it or not. And so the question needs to shift, I believe, from a place of, are we ready for this to happen, to what are we going to do when this happens? Because it's no longer a question of if, it's just a question of when. We spend hours and hours nose deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create. So we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? In 1841, Ralph Waldo Emerson, writer, speaker, and father of the Transcendentalist Movement, wrote the following. Is it so bad, then, to be misunderstood? Pythagoras was misunderstood, and Socrates, and Jesus, and Luther, and Copernicus, and Galileo, and Newton, and every pure and wise spirit that ever took flesh. To be great is to be misunderstood. Uh, have I stumbled into the wrong show? This is an interesting way to start things off. I don't think we've ever opened a segment here on the experience of this show with a philosophical quote, let alone one from the 1800s. Well, I don't think we have, Dan, and I appreciate you and our loyal listeners for humoring me. But I thought this quote was interesting for two reasons. First, I think it describes most people working in customer experience today. I think we're frequently misunderstood by our coworkers and peers and colleagues, and yet I think that's great. Customer experience, while familiar to all of us, is still a pretty evolving discipline in the corporate setting. But second, while I've heard that quote I shared before, I came across it recently while working my way through a book that my good friend John Jance wrote. The book is called The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business. Now, you may be familiar with John's duct tape marketing series of books, which are fantastic, by the way, especially duct tape marketing and the referral engine. But his newest book is a bit of a deviation in terms of topic and format, and so I wanted to discuss it in this segment of What Are You Reading?, Okay, I'll bite. How is it different from his other books? Well, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur is more akin to a workbook than a typical business book, but the overall goal is pretty similar. It's meant to inspire, to encourage, to provoke, to educate. 
Each day of the year receives its own entry, which includes inspirational writing from a transcendentalist movement writer, basically enough to get you thinking and pondering. And then each day's entry concludes with a challenge question, asking you to apply the thinking from that day's entry to your own life. Now, what does this have to do with customer experience, you might be wondering? Well, to be honest, many people who work in customer experience are either entrepreneurs or within their own organization, they play a entrepreneurial role, leading the change to create organizational change. Being an entrepreneur or even entrepreneurial can be quite difficult at times and frankly can feel pretty lonely. The book, with its powerful self-reliance message, I think could be pretty useful to folks in those positions. But based on the way you describe the book, you don't need to be an entrepreneur to get value, it seems. Purchasing a copy to read the incredible text and make time to answer the questions at the end of the day's entry could provide some fantastic introspection for anyone. Yeah, I think it could, Dan. And that's, again, why I was excited to talk about the book a little bit. I think there's something for everybody in John's book, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. You know, you should definitely consider picking up a copy on Amazon at Barnes & Noble or your local indie bookstore. Uh, In passing, I'll share another quote from the book that I think describes a mantra that all CX professionals can follow. Reason, of course, keeps us out of jail, prudently employed and modestly goal-oriented. But achieving the impossible, implausible, or heaven forbid, unconventional, better way of doing something requires setting unreasonable ambitions buttressed with unreasonable actions. In fact, progress depends on it. The only truly unreasonable act is to believe that everything is okay as it is. Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw put it this way, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Today, Pledge to free yourself from the limitations of reason and give yourself permission to dream of things no reasonable person could. Sometimes all it takes is a single question to get your company thinking about an improved customer experience. Here's an idea for how you can start the conversation. This week's Start the Conversation topic is leveraging data to personalize experiences. Customer data can be used for many purposes, including tracking interactions, charting transactions, and managing marketing outreach. Data gathered during customer interactions can also be used to personalize future experiences, which often foster a deeper relationship with the customer. Here are three ways data can be used to personalize interactions. 1. Using portal interaction data to automatically surface support content that better meets the customer's needs and historical approach to seeking resolutions. 2. Streamlining contact center interactions by comparing the customer's phone number or IP address against past interaction reports. 3. Using trend data to identify common pain points and eliminating them, or creating specialized journeys for individual customer segments. You know, we talk a lot on the show, Dan, about the power of personalization. And I think this has been proven time and time again. I know as a consumer, when I call in 
uh, to a call center. And because I'm calling from my cell phone number, they recognize that and they answer the phone and call me by name and immediately get in, anticipate what I might be calling about. Like for example, when I call Delta and they recognize me and they say, oh, Mr. Coleman, are you calling about your flight tomorrow to LaGuardia? It just speeds the conversation. It makes me feel like I matter. It makes me feel like they actually care about my business. And so I think every business should spend more time thinking about creative ways to personalize their interactions. For sure. I mean, as consumers or even as a business clients, we know that the companies we do business with have data on us. So you might as well use it, right? Absolutely. And use it to our benefit. And now for this week's question about leveraging data to personalize experiences. What customer data are we tracking and are we effectively using it to drive better experiences? We encourage you to start the conversation within your own organization and then continue it with Avtex at experienceconversations.com. That website again is experienceconversations.com. Sometimes the customer experience is amazing. And sometimes we just want to cry. Get ready for the roller coaster ride in this edition of I Love It! I Can't Stand It! I was thinking about something the other day while I was flying, Dan. Congratulations, Joey. <laughs> oh, I set myself up for that one, didn't I? Didn't I? Nice. Uh, well, actually, what I was thinking about was how on an airplane, one customer's experience can be dramatically impacted by another customer's behavior. And when that happens, the affected customer associates that experience not only with the other customer who quote unquote caused it, but it also spins off onto the airline for better or for worse. And this got me thinking that it would be interesting to explore all the ways someone's experience on an airplane could be dramatically impacted by the other customers. In short, how one company's customer experience could be completely out of their control and what a company could do to monitor and adjust these feelings as need be if another customer infringes on the experience they're trying to create. So I'm guessing there might have been an incident on this plane that triggered this idea. You know, there was, but to be honest, it didn't happen to me personally. Uh, I was on the plane thinking about a story a friend had told me uh, who this happened to them. They spend a lot of time on planes. They're a professional speaker as well. And at the risk of grossing anyone out, I will share this story. But I would encourage you folks, please, Stop eating or drinking if you're doing either of those things right now while you're listening to the show because you're probably not going to like this story. Okay, putting the coffee cup down. I'm getting a little nervous yeah, here, Yeah, let's not have a spit take. And this is pretty intense. Okay, here it goes. My friend was flying in first class here in the United States and noticed that a gentleman across the aisle and a row ahead of her had taken off his shoes while they were in mid-flight. He then proceeded to take off his socks. And just when my friend thought it could get no worse, the other passenger started clipping his toenails. Oh, come on. I no way. I swear it's a true story. It was terrible for everyone involved because not only were the toenails being clipped, but it's not like they were being clipped onto a paper towel and held. They were just being clipped onto the floor. 
and on to the other people. And I don't know how it works for you all, but sometimes when you cut a toenail, it doesn't just gently fall right below the toe. It shoots off. There literally were toenails shooting across first class. Oh, thank you for making me put that coffee down. I'm I know, right? disgusted I mean, right now. And this is why I thought my friend was kind of lamenting that the flight attendants didn't do anything about it. And they also commented on the fact that given this airline's reputation for having maybe not the best attention to detail, that would those toenails be picked up by the cleaning crew or could it be several flights later and someone would still be finding the biological matter of a passenger who flew several flights before? Okay, I'm kind of in shock. Let's change the subject. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, here's the thing. And again, apologies to any of the listeners that were as disturbed and disgusted by that story as much as Dan and I were. But let's change gears a little bit and, and no pun intended, pull this back to 35,000 feet. I'd like to talk about all the things that can happen on a plane stemming from one customer's behavior impacting another customer's behavior. And I think... What we can show here is how this impact can be positive or negative. And as a result, I thought it might be fun to talk about some of the things we love and can't stand. So, Dan, why don't you kick Ooh, us off? Good. I want to go first. All right. <laughs> I cannot stand it when people bring smelly food onto a plane because, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's great and it smells like, you know, nice French fries. And sometimes it's, you know a little fancier of a meal or, uh, you know, a little spicy or what have you. And it permeates the entire plane. Yeah, it really does. And if you don't like that particular type of cuisine, if you like that type of cuisine, it's usually fine. Well, no, because then you're hungry and you really want some. Well, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But if you don't like that type of uh, cuisine, it can get really ugly it's really bad. fast. Uh, the one that is showing up pretty much every time I fly now that is just ridiculous is when Passengers are playing games or watching videos on their phone, and they've decided not to wear headphones because they're like, you know, I'm sure you want to hear the cards sliding across as I play solitaire, the little whoosh, 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 whoosh. <laughs> Honestly, I kind of like that. Oh, sound. my gosh. Uh, you but like only, it. Only when I'm playing. You like it at the beginning. But after uh, two hours of a flight, uh, the other day, I finally was like, I can't hand it anymore, handle it anymore. And I actually leaned forward and said to the person, you do realize that this entire section can hear you playing solitaire, right? And the person was like, oh, no, sorry. And I'm like, how did you not know? Are you so numb and so unaware of your own behaviors? Okay, I'm getting worked out. Speaking of which, uh, I cannot stand it when there's someone on the plane that believes that he is the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and is going to talk loudly and share his knowledge with us for pretty much the entire flight. Yeah, and I love the gender specificity of that <laughs> statement because it's always a guy. It's never a woman pontificating about the deal she's closing and all the promotion she's going to get. No, it's some dude just harassing the person next to him. Totally agree. It's ridiculous. One that I think uh, I've observed people doing lately on flights is watching their favorite news channel, which is often fairly sensationalized, in an age where news is a negative trigger for many people. I've actually seen kind of the, the energetic shift when somebody flips on a news channel in front of them that clearly isn't the news channel preference of the person sitting next to them. And suddenly they realize they might be on opposite ends of the spectrum. 
Yes. And, you know, I'm not going to go back to your opening story because I'm still disgusted. But I have also seen people perform other personal grooming activities on a plane, you know, flossing teeth, putting on deodorant, that sort of thing. Yeah, the putting on deodorant while sitting in the chair, that that one's... It's rare, but when it happens, I'm just like, how? It, what, how is this happening? Yeah, Are, I mean, is there, somebody filming this? Are we in an episode of The Twilight Zone or Funniest Home Videos? Because I, I'm confused. Yeah, there, there's a bathroom on the plane for a reason. Yeah, uh, I'll say the last thing. Let's do one more that we can't stand. Uh, the last one is one that I'm personally uh, sensitive to because I have a six-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. It's when the person sitting next to us on the plane is watching clearly non-age appropriate content when they have a child or children sitting next to them. Now, thankfully, when I fly with my kids, we uh, yeah, we take up a row, so it's not really an issue. But I have seen unaccompanied minors flying next to, again, mostly guys who decided that they want to watch something like John Wick 3, which is an incredibly violent movie, sitting next to two six-year-old twins. And I'm thinking you do realize that they see the screen, right? Although to be fair, I'm going to push back on this one because you could flip the script and say that to that guy, the problem is the thing he can't stand is having to sit next to two six-year-olds, right? Because that, that now have to dictate what he gets to watch. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. But also when you get on the plane and there are 50 movies to choose from, I think it's okay to say, look, I don't care if you watch something that's maybe a little more adult in its nature, but it doesn't have to be pushing the adult with a capital A boundaries. True. All right, so that's enough bad news. What about the impact of positive experiences? What are some of the things you love, Dan? Well, I appreciate it when the person on the window seat or the aisle seat uh, understands that the person in the middle is really uncomfortable and allows them to have the armrests or at least most of the armrests rather than trying to fight them for it and make their experience even more miserable. Ah, uh, yes. We have talked about this before on the show when we talked about the uh, changes that are coming to the middle seat. Uh, yes, the rule is the person in the middle seat gets both arm gets both armrests. Uh, I also really like it when people don't put their seats all the way back or sometimes, you know, the best ones don't put them back at all. Uh, it's so ridiculous when I'll be sitting on my laptop and next thing I know, either the laptop is being jammed into my chest or it's flipping off the table because the person in front of me has decided to throw their seat back with careless abandon. Not even, you know, I don't, if you're going to put it back, at least go back slow, but just throw it back like, hey, don't mind me while I sit in your lap. Yeah, I think this sounds like you're taking an I can't stand it and just flipping it into an I love it. That's by kind of what happened negative. right there. You're, like, you're, you're, that's true. That's true. Tell us about your yeah. uh, your your biggest mistake in business. Well, my it's, biggest mistake is that I'm just too good at what I do. It's called taking a negative and turning it into a positive, Dan. But actually, I believe that uh, the airplane manufacturers should just stop making the seats go back. Agreed. Like today, 100%. with the amount of legroom there is, it's not necessary to go back even three or four inches. Just stop it. Just don't make it. 100%. Um, but I also appreciate, you know, um, I love sitting on the aisle because I get a little extra legroom and can put the legs out into the aisle, et cetera. But uh, when somebody wants to get up, 
I always get, uh, I always stand up so of that course, it's easier you're for, a decent for human them being. to get out. Yes. And I like it when people do that to me <laughs> yes. uh, versus me having to, you know, that, that whole dance of trying to climb over someone and not like touch them or their things <laughs> is just so uncomfortable. And all they have to do is stand up and it would eliminate them. It, w- it really would. Uh, another thing I love is when passengers decide to follow the rules and use the storage above their seats only after they've used the storage under the seat in front of them. It never ceases to amaze me when you get on the plane. And lots of times I'm doing quick turns and quick connections. So I've got my carry-on backpack as well as my small carry-on bag. And I get on the plane and the cabin space above or the luggage space above is taken by tiny purses and tiny backpacks and little things where I'm like, seriously, that could go under the seat. So I love it when people do that. I do too. And I also appreciate when somebody takes the time to read their seatmate's body language. And what I mean by that Uh, is, you know, do they want to talk and be spoken to, or do they just want to read and work quietly and watch a movie? And it's oftentimes people will act the way they want to act, not how the receiving person wants them to. Yes. The pro tip on that, folks, get the headphones out of your bag immediately upon being seated. Put those in if you want to avoid the conversations. Well, I think what's interesting here is All of these examples are about the airlines, but let's not get caught up in thinking that this is only an airline problem. Many of our listeners have interactions where they can have more than one customer in their place of business at the same time, you know, restaurants, movie theaters, uh, doctor's offices, and someone who's a customer that's not you could be impacting or influencing your experience. And so I think there's an opportunity for businesses to think a little more strategically about what kind of behaviors happen within their place of business from other customers. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is also true in the B2B world too, is that you know we do business with companies and sometimes those companies annoy us in how their employees behave. Maybe they email us too often. Maybe the salesperson is calling me you know, too often and I've asked him to stop or that I only want to speak to him once a week or whatever it is. So you have to be able to read the other people in your environment and act accordingly. You know, interestingly enough, it's pretty easy to see how the behavior of another customer could dramatically impact your customer experience for better or for worse. So what can a company do about it? Well, one option would be to adopt a code of conduct for your customers. Set clear expectations on what's allowed and not allowed and then be ready to celebrate or enforce the code as need be. We're seeing this more and more with youth sporting events, for example, that have specific rules around parental behavior as opposed to child behavior, uh, which is so needed, so needed. And I think it's just a matter of time before we actually see this start to show up more in customer environments like restaurants and retail establishments and modes of transportation. So ask yourself this, if your customers are in the same place at the same time, how are you making sure that they enjoy the experience without infringing on another customer's enjoyment. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. 
We hope you enjoyed our discussions. And if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.